Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara. We are talking about uh, elder care and elder law today uh, alongside attorney Jeffrey Higgins out of Chelmsford, Massachusetts, and also alongside, thankfully for me, my wife, Suzanne, uh, who is a Helpful enough to keep me company on a uh, on a Saturday in the summer here. All right, Jeff and Suzanne, you still with me? We, I'm here. All right, I'm still here. <laughs> it's always it's always a little nerve wracking. Um, anyway, so uh, you know, and, and Jeff, I don't. I know we had Catherine uh, give us a call and and sort of reach out uh, to you uh, directly. I don't know if you heard. I, I think you dropped off there just for a minute. But um, did you hear my question? So uh, let me reset it for you. I, I'll regularly get the question from clients about sort of preparing for Medicaid in advance, right? It's something that people tend to start thinking about. You know, maybe maybe it's their late 60s, early 70s, and they'll ask specifically about essentially Medicaid planning and irrevocable trusts and the five-year look back. Is there a time, and I know it's situational to a degree, but is there a time of of someone's life when you think that is most appropriate and then maybe inappropriate, right? I mean, I, I assume you're, you don't do a lot for folks in maybe their late fifties and sixties and, and you maybe, you know, do more planning as folks get older, but you know, what do you have for guidance for people who are thinking about that uh, and when might be the right time to, to look at that? I, I would say it's typically right around retirement. So people are retiring now at, you know, 65, 66, 67, 70, 71, 72, right around there is when you should stop thinking about protecting your assets. If you're in your 50s or early 60s, you know, a lot of times I'll say, look, you know, you're, you're too young. We don't want to tie up assets. You don't know if you're going to, you know, retire to Florida or Arizona. So, but so, it, you know, but some people, they come in in their you know, 50s and, no, I want to do it right now. I want to protect my assets. My mom ended up in the nursing home at age 65, and I want to do it right away. So it's, it depends on the client, but generally right around retirement age. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, and again, that would be – and I think I think you probably – Obviously, you want to usually have, uh, well, that's, this is a shameless plug, but a financial advisor to, when, when we get that question, oftentimes we may have an issue with it with, just with regard to how much they might want to protect, right? It's, it, not everyone is in a, is in a financial situation, I don't think, to, to set up an, you know, a, you know, kind of a Medicaid planning trust 
at 6065 because I think you need a certain level of assets, right? I mean, if we, if we look at the, if we look at the laws and, and, you know, it's, it's, you're entitled to the income maybe from a portfolio. Income and interest rates aren't all that high these days. So, you know, if, even if you put aside, a, you know, a, a few hundred thousand dollars, the, the income expectations from that aren't necessarily all that high. Is that, I mean, that's just one of my concerns. Can you, do you want to speak to that for a minute, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and the other thing, you know, you're right. And the problem is, is that a lot of times people have most of their money in 401ks or IRAs. Yeah. And those we really can't protect. We really can't put those into a irrevocable trust. So it's, it's the, it's the clients that have cash, you know, in the CDs or savings or in, or even in stock portfolios that have already paid the tax on them. Those are the people that are able to be fund that irrevocable trust because we in order to fund an irrevocable trust we can't we we can't do it with qualified money because then you have to pay the tax because the the uh, name is you know is being changed from an individual 401k plan to a trust so you would have to pay the tax and so we we don't recommend that you you know, take money out of your 401k or IRA to fund an irrevocable trust to protect it from the nursing home. So I usually work with the financial planner. You know, I say, do you have a financial planner? Yes. Well, we work with the financial planner to figure out what money we're going to protect, uh, or maybe we're not going to protect any because they're, you know, most of their money might be in their retirement plan. Okay. Uh, all right, terrific. Hey, Suzanne, you, you know, you mentioned, and, and I, I sort of, we don't talk about our businesses all that much at home, given the fact that we have three kids and, and a lot going on. But, uh, you know, I know that you will regularly be working with elder law attorneys, and maybe just help me and, and folks out. You know, you, you, you referenced a, a team, right? So, you know, in, in your case, uh, there's an elder care consultant, and, and I think maybe we'll jump into what you, what exactly you do in a bit here, but. Uh, and an elder law attorney and then maybe a financial advisor. What, what are you, how are you interacting with elder law attorneys, you know, kind of on a regular basis? What, what might you be talking to someone like Jeff about specifically? That's just sort of a question I always had for you. And I, I didn't, I, I'll be honest, I don't really know the answer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of things that, that myself as an elder care consultant would talk to an elder care attorney about. Um, you know, there's oftentimes that we work really closely with an elder law attorney, depending on the situation. So there's a lot of situations with an elder where an attorney is really necessary. Um, you know, a lot of what you've been talking about, obviously. So <clears throat> I jumped in it at 1030. So I'm not sure what you talked about before then. But, you know, talking about Medicaid planning and mass health planning in terms of nursing homes, that's that's one of the big ones. Right. So we always want to make sure we have an attorney um, up our sleeve that knows about Medicaid planning because that's that's a big one and that's always a concern for for clients is what's going to happen to their money, whether they're single or whether it's a married couple. But there's also a lot of other things that we talk to elder law attorneys about and and that we recommend clients uh, you know to have their own meeting with an elder law attorney surrounding advanced directives. So advanced directives are are um, you know. It's a it's a broad topic, and it, and what it means is is planning for the future and what you might want and what you might not want when it comes to your health care. And an attorney might help with drawing up some of those legal documents to help with your advanced directive. So a power of attorney, a power of attorney for health care, a health care proxy, a will, things like that. Uh, an elder law attorney might be very involved in doing. And a lot of the folks that we come into contact, surprisingly, um, do, have not worked with an elder law attorney yet. So, you know, we often we often see folks at the first time during a crisis period. Uh, we obviously like when people come to us, you know, much like a financial planner or an attorney, I'm sure. You like it when people come <laughs> with a, you know, with a goal of planning and not during a crisis mode. But unfortunately, with what I do, a lot of the referrals we get are someone that's kind of already in the middle of a crisis mode. And so a lot, a lot of times, one of the first things I say to people is you really need to contact an elder law attorney sort of just to get things in order. Um, and then there's those people kind of like the callers, the caller that we just had that had a, an elder law attorney draw up all kinds of documents years and years ago. And then, you know, sometimes that that attorney has retired or they moved and, and the person really hasn't had a review of documents for a long time. So we recommend that too. 
just a, a review of documents to look at everything to make sure everything still stands because laws change and documents change and, you know, people change. So, um, you know, and then there's also the issue of um, guardianship, which comes up sometimes. It's not, not that frequently and it's not something I love to deal with, but the issue of guardianship um, for someone that either doesn't have a healthcare proxy or for some reason that healthcare proxy is not um, suitable to step in and to, to help that client. Sometimes the process of guardianship has to happen, and we need an attorney for that. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of different ways that we work with, with elder law attorneys. Okay. Jeff, you have any, any follow-up on that I, I was before I jump into another question here? Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point that, uh, that she made on the woman that called in and said nothing. She said nothing's changed since 2002, but, you know, <laughs> yes. the law... The law has changed since 2002 many times, so that's why you need to update your documents and, um, you know, look at your plan every, say, 10, 15 years. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, 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 uh, we're, we're pretty on top of that as well. And I did, I did pick up on that, 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 uh, yeah, m- maybe not much had changed for Catherine specifically in her life and right. in her wishes, but, uh, yeah, the laws, uh, you know, the laws are always changing and, and always will be. So it's, it's not the kind of thing. And, and you know what? Even if Catherine may well come in to see you and, and you may well say that her plan doesn't require much in the way of change, but, you know, you, you may well also say, Hey, you know, when you set this up, the law was significantly different and now this needs to be changed. Otherwise things aren't going to play out the way you wanted them to. So it's right. always good to have it reviewed, uh, on a regular basis. Okay. Yeah. yeah well worth the cost to have an attorney review, you know, sa- savings in the long run. Yeah. Sure. And I, I want to ask you both here on, you know, we, we spend a lot of time, you know, Medicaid planning is, is very much focused on nursing homes, right? Oh, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of the cost of nursing homes is what makes the headlines, right? Oh, it's, it's $15,000 a month or whatever the, you know, whatever the number is of the day. Um, most people don't want to end up in a nursing home. I think that I'm pretty comfortable saying that. Um, does does this type of planning in advance, you know, and I know Suzanne, you you're, you do sort of different things, but to Jeff, to you, as far as legal planning, what happens if you you need care but you want to stay at home, or maybe it's an assisted living? Is 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 all that type of planning out the window in that case, or, or talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, it, nobody wants to go to a nursing home, and the, and most of the times when people go to the nursing home, they don't they don't even know they're there. So yeah. nobody wants to go, and but the reality is that 24-hour daycare at your home is more expensive than the nursing home. So some and and Medicaid is not going to pick up the entire tab. Medicaid's only going to pick up a limited amount of the cost. You know, like in the PACE program, they may send uh, somebody to your house for two hours a day, not 24 hours. So so it's difficult unless you have you know the ability to pay $20,000 a month for home care, then unfortunately, if you need 24-hour day care and you don't have that type of money, you you know, the, the only option is the nursing home. And so a lot of people will come into me and, and I'll say, well, you know, you might want to think about protecting assets from the nursing home. They, oh, I'm not going to the nursing home. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we don't know what's going to happen in life. And so, um, so, and it doesn't hurt to to put some of the assets in an irrevocable trust because if you don't go to the nursing home, the, the trust works just like the revocable trust. The, the assets are going to go to your to your heirs, your children. When you die, no probate, no lawyer. So you get the most, best of both worlds where you have the probate avoidance with an irrevocable trust, but you also have the protection of the assets just in case uh, somebody ends up in a nursing home. Okay. Yeah, it, it, I guess... Maybe it's because of my demographic, but you know, I I feel like I'm having these conversations more often, maybe with uh, with children uh, who have parents who who might be in that age range where they you know, they sort of have to worry about care. But you know, one of the things that I you know, and I'll have this conversation regularly with with uh, with clients, and they'll say, well, you know, my my mother or father is looking to protect their home their money from a nursing home, but you know, I, my concern is that you know, it maybe is less financial and it's more that they get great care and are able to spend the money on care the way that they want it. And I, I don't think it's, 
you know, there, there are sort of two, and those things are competing to a degree, right? So if, if Medicaid doesn't pay for any significant amount of care outside of a nursing home, and you, you know, you're a child and you don't want mom or dad to go to a nursing home, it is then in your best interests to, to potentially not make use of a Medicaid trust. Is that, is that an accurate statement? I'll, I'll throw that one to you first, Jeff. Well, I mean, the, you know, everybody says I'm not going to put my mom or dad in a nursing home, but the reality is that most people have a job. You know, if, if yeah. you're a, your son, your daughter, they're working, they have job, they have family, have kids. There are situations where we do have, um, you know, uh, a child taking care of their mom in their own home or at mom's home, and that's great. And there's also ways to uh, protect assets and pay the child to take care of the parent. Uh, so if the child wants to give up their job and take care of mom, mom or dad at, at their own home or at mom or dad's home, then we, what we do is an elder care contract where the child's actually getting paid to do that, and the five-year look-back doesn't come into play. So say the daughter is taking care of dad at her own home, well, dad can pay her four or 5000 a month to take care of him, keep him out of the nursing home, and all that money that she's getting paid, it's not a gift. It's, it's payment, so, so, um, so it's protected. All of them, so you take care of dad for three years at 5000 a month. That's a lot of money that you can protect so that if dad, it becomes impossible for you to take care of him anymore, at least you've protected that money that you got paid. But you have to have what's called an elder care contract. Okay. Suzanne, do you, do you have thoughts on that sort of maintaining flexibility versus, uh, you know, versus protecting money? Yeah, actually, before I answer that, I have a question for Jeff. So that elder care contract, is that something that folks do with you? Is that a, yeah. is that a legal? I draft those and, and, you know, I've never had one rejected by MassHealth. Wow. I've also never heard of that, Suzanne. That was that was news to me. I, yeah. figured, I figured you might have heard. Of that. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that's news. It does certainly get a, it gets around some of a bunch of my issue anyway, where you can't uh, with with lack of flexibility. But uh, yeah, the beauty, the beauty, Justin, of the elder care contract is somebody comes in and says, "Hey, I've been taking care of dad for two years. You know, I, I I don't know how long I can do it anymore. It's getting tough." And 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 I'll say, well, let's do an elder care contract. So if you, you know, at least for the last year, you're getting five thousand a month to take care of him. That's sixty thousand that's protected if he ends up in the nursing home. And then they'll say to me, well, 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 can I get paid for the last two years that I've already been doing it? And the answer is no. Okay. You have to have, a, you know, a, a, an executed legal binding contract signed by both parties, and then you can start getting paid. So. So, you know, a lot of people don't know and they're, and they're at home taking care of their parents. And, and then when, when the person goes in the nursing home, they don't get to keep any of that money, even though they may deserve the money because they, they gave up their job. They gave up, mm-hmm. you know, their life sometimes to take care of their mm-hmm. parents. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I just, I, I wanted to spend some time just to, just to acknowledge to everyone out there that the, the, the care decisions that that we all make, I think, are heavily influenced by uh, by sort of demographics and socioeconomics, right? So, you know, I, I think Suzanne, you probably work with because because folks are paying you. You probably work with folks who maybe have more money, and so the decisions that you sort of regularly come in. Is that? I'm sorry, is that an accurate statement? I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to make well, assumptions. You know, it is and it isn't. You know, it, with with so what I do, elder care consulting, is private pay. But we do have folks that come to us and really say, you know, I need just an initial consult and I need to work with you a little bit, but really we can't afford to work with you long term, but we really feel like we need an expert to just kind of guide us. And in that case, you know, we do work, we do work with folks that, that don't have, you know, millions of dollars yeah. at hand. And so we do do a lot of discussion around Mass Health and Medicaid, and and I've worked in in the public sector and in the private sector, so I know a lot about Mass Health and the programs that are available for folks in the community that are on Mass Health. So I can I can really, you know, intelligently guide people in that way too. So we we do work with folks on you know all ends of the spectrum. Um, you know, typically we don't work with folks that are already on Mass Health. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> but oftentimes we you know. We are oftentimes meeting, just like you, Justin, with the adult child of an elder, you know, or of a couple, yeah. 
or multiple adult children. And, and oftentimes they're the ones footing the bill, you know, paying us for it, you know, on behalf of their parent to get some guidance because oftentimes they just feel really lost. So, so we work with people on, on both ends of the spectrum. And, and to answer your question about the flexibility, I think it's, really, it's a really, really difficult question. And it's something that comes up frequently because, you know, we, as I said, we work with people on all ends of the spectrum, but typically we, you know, our typical client is someone in the middle. So, yeah. so it's really, it's, it's easy advice to give to someone who has no assets. It's pretty easy to know what to do. There's yeah. limitations, but it's easy to know what to tell them. And for people on the other end that have, you know, endless amounts of money and, and you, you just know that money is not going to be a problem, you know, towards the end of life, that's pretty easy too, because we can give them all the options. We can present them with everything that they, they're able to do. But most of the folks we work with are in the middle somewhere, and it makes it really difficult to plan. And we're very open and honest about that. We can, we can give all the options, and we can talk about it. And because I'm a nurse, I, you know, I can have the, perspective, the health perspective as well. But it's really difficult to talk about what's the best thing to do right now, because none of us have a crystal ball. And none of us know exactly how long mom or dad is going to live. And, you know, for someone that has $500,000, you know, and, and they're relatively healthy and they're 80, it's really hard to know exactly where to spend that money and what to do. So, so that's why we're there to help guide people. But that's also why for us it's really important to have that elder law attorney and that financial planner right there working with the client as well because you can address things, you know, on that end more than we can. But it's a really important partnership to work with the majority of folks who are those people that have, you know, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars, and they need to know what the best way is to spend it. And obviously, you know, it's not all about money. We want to talk about quality of life and where that person wants to be, and <clears throat> all of those things. Yeah, so it's a tough question, which is why there's people like us. Yeah, and, and uh, to the finances side, I mean, it's not only the finances of, of you know, in, in your example, the parent, but also the finances of the of the children, right? I mean, so we'll have, you know, in, in our case, on occasion, you know, we'll have a we'll have a son or daughter, and, and they're saying, hey, you know, my mom's worried about you know paying money for a nursing home, uh, but you know, in maybe in in some cases, if two or three kids or or however many kids you have, if they're all if they're all doing well financially. Um, you may, you know, it may not matter really what happens with, with regard to the money, right? So I, I regularly have conversations with folks who say, yeah, my, my mom wants to save this money for us, but, you know, frankly, we don't really need it, quote unquote. Right. And so we'd much rather have them maybe maintain yeah, the flexibility, there. right? So there's, it's, it's, it gets very complicated. And I just want to sort of acknowledge that it's, uh, these, these, uh, decisions aren't easy and there's certainly no, uh, you know, boilerplate cookie cutter, hey, this is what you should do because it really, really does depend on, uh, on the individual situation. Right, right. And I do, I do have clients, you know, and family members where what they want is conflicting. So like you said, the adult children say, you know, we're, we're financially stable, we're financially independent, and we want our mom, our dad, to use their money for, to get good care. We want them to use their money and put it towards what they want in terms of care. And then sometimes you have the elder, on the other hand, saying, no, no, protect all my money, just put me in a, in a Medicaid nursing home and protect all my money, give it to my kids. Yeah. And so sometimes there is conflicting, you know, wants and wishes and desires. And, and sometimes, sometimes we end up being the bridge to those things because a lot of times these conversations are really, really difficult and complicated. So we end up being the third party to come in and say, all right, let's all sit around the table and, yeah. and let's talk about this. Let's talk about what we want to do and, and, you know, whose wishes we need to honor. Because it's a difficult it's a really difficult conversation. Very complicated. Jeff, are, are you regularly meeting with with you know? Do you tend to meet with families as in multi generation, or are you are you more often working with one one party or the other? Yeah, it, it, it's mixed. I mean, sometimes uh, the uh, the parents come in with their child, or the uh, wife or husband that's widowed comes in with the child. Sometimes the elderly clients come in on their own. Uh, if we have a situation where uh, a um, person comes in, uh, is already in the nursing home, then the kids are the ones I'm meeting with, you know. And the first question I ask them is, you know, they come in, dad's in the nursing home, mom passed away, dad's got all these assets, what can we do? And I first question is, do you have a power of attorney? Because you're going to need authority to protect some of the money, you know, what what, what we can protect and, and apply for Medicaid. So it, it just varies, and, you know, 
and it ultimately, you know, with with the with the elder people that come in and are telling me they want to protect their assets, you know, in their seventies, sometimes in their eighties, and they say, I want to protect my house and my cash. It's their decision. They make the decision. What's going in the irrevocable? Um, I had one client come in, a guy in his 80s, and he, he says, I want to protect my house, and I got 200000 in the bank. I want to protect that. I said, all right, well, the house, no problem. We'll put it in the irrevocable. Still yours for life. And when you die, it'll go to your children. And we'll maybe we'll take 100000 and put it in the trust and leave you with a hundred. He says, oh, no, I want to put the whole two i I'm like, well. I'm not going to let you put all of your money into the trust and you'll have no money. What if you want to buy something? What if you want to go on a vacation? No, I don't spend anything. He insisted. And I said, all right, well, I says, I really don't recommend it. And he said, well, all right, I'll keep 10000 We'll put 190000 So it was his decision. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It is. Yeah, we do have free will. Uh, all right. We are just about up against a break. We'll be right back. This is Kirk Reed from McNamara Financial. I often get asked, when should I start collecting Social Security? It's not always a quick question to answer, but an important one. If you'd like to have a conversation about your situation, give me a call at 781-834-2010 or check out McNamaraFinancial.com. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, and we are live uh, in Lowell on WCAP today. Uh, we're talking about elder care and elder law. Let me give out the telephone number in case anyone has any questions. Uh, it's uh, 978-454-4980. That's 978-454-4980. If you have any questions uh, of any type, please don't hesitate to give us a call. Uh, and if you want to email us, you can shoot us an email if that's easier. It's questions at McNamaraOnMoney.com. Okay, so we're ha- we're hanging out here with uh, Attorney Jeff Higgins out of Chelmsford and uh, my wife, Suzanne McNamara, who is an elder care consultant. You know what, Suzanne, I, I didn't properly introduce you here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, elder care consulting or, or geriatric care consulting, a little bit about your business and, and, uh, and what you do, because I don't think most people necessarily know. It may be a new term for a lot of people. Yeah, it is a new term for a lot of people. And actually, it's a new term still for a lot of people in healthcare. I still get, you know, on a daily basis. So what do you do? You're a case manager and you work for a hospital. There's there's a lot of people that don't understand quite what we do. So, so geriatric care management is something that started back in the 80s. It's actually still a fairly new, <clears throat> still fairly new. Um, and it's sort of the process of planning and coordinating care of a client, an elderly client typically with family members, sometimes not with family members, to sort of meet their their long-term care needs and improve their quality of life and help the elder to maintain their independence for, for as long as possible. So that's a very general answer, and it's because we do a lot of different things. So we have folks, with, and typically a geriatric care manager, who now we, we're now supposed to call ourselves an aging life care professionals, just so you know. Okay. Um, so I'm an aging life care professional, but typically, <laughs> typically we are uh, in the field of, of nursing or social work or something like that. So I happen to be a nurse and a social worker. Um, <clears throat> that's my background. But typically, it's it's someone that's in healthcare, um, working with with the older adult population. So we have folks where you know we're just we're just kind of used on a, a consulting basis where we might meet with them once or twice, just to kind of help them plan different aspects of their life. And then we have other people on the other end of the spectrum that, that we're involved with for years and years, and we quite literally accompany them to their doctor's appointments and, you know, do any planning that might come from that doctor's appointment. We interface with all the different aspects in their in their healthcare, so their physicians, you know, someone that might be providing home care, that kind of thing. So we have people that we're really just, you know, we really just consult with them and they kind of go on their way, and then we have people on the other end of the spectrum that, that we're involved with on a day-to-day basis for their care, so it's it's quite the spectrum what we do. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, from, from uh, I, I certainly understand it. Right? Also, occasionally, I'll take a, I'll, I'll use a, a real life example from us. I'll take our kids to the doctor, and uh, and generally speaking, I'll, I'll report back to you and. and what I'll give you is a, you? a fairly limit. <laughs> right. I don't exactly I tell you right what questions. happened because I didn't. I didn't. I, you know, I'm not following along the way a, a medical professional would, right. and especially right. you know if you if you multiply that, you know, if you take you know in my case it's one doctor's visit, you know, a checkup per year for, for the kids. 
versus for a healthy for a healthy, for a healthy child. child. Yeah, right. and then right. you all of a sudden you know you you put someone in a situation where you know they're at the doctor every you know and you you tell me but you know even if you're going once a month and you know you have you need regular care the level right. of complexity just really I, I assume gets exponential and it's right. you know it's difficult for you know even for someone who's maybe you know who's who's you know as young and as as vibrant as you've ever been to keep on track of you know let alone someone who may be uh, who may be on the older side right am i being ageist yeah. there probably was ageist i have to fill <laughs> no, in no, i have to fill in for my father true it's true so you know we hope that we we age in a in a healthy way but typically you know folks that are in their 80s they're they're seeing multiple doctors oftentimes and you know if you throw in some cognitive impairment for different reasons it can make navigating the healthcare system really complex and it helps to have an advocate you know right there by that person's side which is quite literally what we do sometimes so you know we can help prevent hospitalizations and and just help make things clearer and easier okay so, ab- absolutely and and right so when you take our you know, healthy 11-year-old to the doctor, and I say, well, just ask this one thing. <laughs> and then you give me the report, and I say, well, okay, so did you ask this follow-up question? And no, yeah, most no, of the time the answer is no. And and to me, it's just, you know, it's what I do every day, and I forget that it's it's not. It doesn't come as <laughs> naturally to other people, so I might not be as understanding as I should be. There is um, a, a significant power uh, disparity between between me and the doctor, right? I there. there <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I, you know, they say something and I say, okay, doc, because I'm You just I'm not, blindly I, trust I'm not following. Right. And we have great doctors for our children, so as I <laughs> We should. do. We do. <laughs> uh, but I don't blindly trust, right? So so I no. ask all the hard questions and, and get the answers and help to advocate for that client. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, if you, if you just look at the healthcare industry, right, there's a, it's, it seems like it's busy, right? Not that I have all that much experience with it, but there's a lot going on and uh, and if you are, if you're not advocating for yourself in healthcare, it seems like, um, you know, you're, you're probably not getting, you're, you're maybe not getting care to the level that, that you might want, right? Is that, is that an accurate statement? It is. And that's not to say that you are being treated by doctors that are performing poorly, yeah. but it's just that our healthcare system is so complex in every way that if you don't, if you don't know what you're doing and what you're talking about and what questions to ask and what to advocate for, you may not be doing everything optimally. And like I said, that doesn't mean that your providers are not, you know, geniuses in some cases. But if you have a a genius provider who's not talking to your other providers or prescribing medications that, you know, maybe one of the other providers is prescribing also or prescribing something that might interact and they're not talking to each other, it's, it's really complex and there's so many reasons why you may not be getting optimal care. And very few of those reasons have to do with the quality of care that any individual provider might be might be performing. It's really typically not the issue, but it's other issues surrounding our healthcare system and, and why it's so complex, <clears throat> and and yeah. it's tough to navigate. And 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 that's why you know having someone there by your side helping you navigate can really improve quality of life, and and it can ease the concerns of adult children, right? Because there's a lot of us now that are you know. We're, we're sort of sandwiched in. We're taking care of children and we're taking care of, you know, older, older parents. And, you know, I went through it with my father who passed away a year and a half ago where, you know, I have young kids and I'm on the phone trying to sort of act as my father's geriatric care manager, but I'm a family member and it's really tough. So we have a lot of people that we work with that, you know, their sons and daughters just want to be the sons and daughters. They don't want to do the care management stuff. They say, you know, this is, this is it's a full-time job and i just yeah. want to go back to being my father's son and and so we can ease the burden that way too yep absolutely yeah it's hard enough it's hard enough for us to keep on track of our all of our kids in their homework assignments and, and you know i can't imagine having to be <laughs> having to coordinate all the health care for for your parent it's just you know it, it is it's a lot of work and stressful so okay um, Jeff, if uh, I, I wanted to go, and I have a few questions kind of specific to, uh, to care. It, it, let's just say, well, you know, uh, let me go back to the care contract that you set up just, uh, so before, before the break here, we, you had talked about paying a child, uh, for, you know, to setting up a contract where you pay the child for care and that, that essentially gets around, is that that's to get around any gifting? Is that correct? Is that is that the most accurate way to say that? Absolutely, yes. So if if um, of course it happens all the time where the parent 
moves in with the child or there's a in-law apartment for the parent to so that the child can look after them and take care of them and in especially when you you can't you don't have time to protect the assets in an irrevocable trust because you don't have mm-hmm. the five years um, it's an excellent tool to protect money uh, monthly and um, you know bulletproof uh, the money if somebody ends up going to the nursing home. And sometimes people come in and, you know, the, the parent only has $50,000 in the bank. Yeah. And, you know, I say, well, you know, we could protect that in 10 months. And if, and if he has, and if that parent has to go in the nursing home in the next year or so, at least all the money's protected. A lot of the kids will just put the money into a separate account and keep it just in case the, their parent needs it. But, by by getting paid and, and getting it out of that uh, parent's name, it's protected if they end up in the nursing home. Okay. Jeff, I have a question about that. How Who decides and how is it decided about how much money, you know, that child can get paid for the elder? How is that decided? Well, the, based the, on the, sort of market rate, rate or? Right. We're using $20 an hour now, but it's the, it's the rate. You have to have, you know, basically the rate of a unskilled uh, worker uh, taking care of their parents. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like it's a nurse or it's right. a, it's, 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 it's uh, somebody like you that's mm-hmm. taking care of them that's going to charge more. So it's, I used, mm-hmm. used, I used to be 1750. Now I'm up to like $20. And as long as it's the fair, uh, hourly rate in the area where you are located, then MassHealth will accept it. I've never had a problem. So 20, I use $20 an hour. And, you know, then it's just a matter of, you know, if the child is working, say the child works, you know, part-time, uh, 9 to 1, then, you know, the child is maybe taking care of the parent from 7 to 8.30 and one mm-hmm. thirty to 7.30 at night, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just the depending on the situation or sometimes the the, the child doesn't work at all and, you know, we have them maybe 9 to 9. 12 hours mm-hmm. a day they're working to take care of their parent. Whatever the situation is, we adapt the contract uh, to the situation. And MassHealth just requires that you provide the documentation of that contract. Right. They, they, they want to see the contract. They want to see all yep. the checks that were written, yep. and they want to see a ledger of the work performed. So, mm-hmm. you know, the children have to keep a little ledger saying, you know, 9 o'clock I cooked breakfast, cleaned the kitchen, uh, or I woke, woke, woke dad up, helped him get dressed, uh, you know, prepared, you know, so just a little summary of what you did while during those hours that you're getting paid. Mm-hmm. Okay. And nothing about that is retroactive, right? It ha- even if I've been doing it for six months and I quit my job and I learn about this today, I have to start that. I have to drop the contract right. and start today. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, you, you know, it's, it's when the contract is signed, that's when it, you right. can start getting Got it. Thank you. Okay, hey, Jeff. You know, uh, let's. One of the questions that I have, and that that um, occasionally I think I'll get a different answer from attorneys on, is is sort of what flexibility there is on getting money out of an irrevocable trust. Let's say, let's just say you met with a client, and that client prepared well in advance, right? So they they set up their irrevocable trust. Uh, maybe they put their house in it and, and, uh, they put in, you know, $500,000 in assets. And the idea was to, you know, to get that five year look back period. And then, and then they, uh, and they, they satisfy the look back period. But then for whatever reason, something happens and they, and they need care or they, let's say they need the money, but they maybe don't necessarily want to go to a nursing home or, or, or what, what flexibility is there in getting money out of an irrevocable trust that was already set up and and does the, and does any distribution from that trust does that make the whole thing null and void or are there exceptions yeah that's a great question and the answer is that a irrevocable trust is only a piece of paper right so the trustee uh it can do things that go against the trust so um, you know, um, if you, let's say that, you know, somebody puts their house and their cash in an irrevocable trust and their son is the trustee and then 
they say to the son, hey, I want, I want it all back. Well, he can transfer it back. Obviously, that trust is not, not now no longer irrevocable. It's, it's, it's not um, useful for that purpose. Uh, obviously, the trustee is not allowed to transfer it back to the individual. Um, but if the trustee and all the beneficiaries agree to do it, you know, there's nothing really to stop them from doing it. And, you know, sometimes you have a situation where you put the house in the irrevocable trust and the person goes in the nursing home in a year. Yeah. And so you've got to transfer it out of the irrevocable trust. Otherwise, the person would never qualify for Medicaid. So there are situations where we we have to do it because uh, otherwise it would be, let's say it's a $500,000 home and you put it in an irrevocable trust, and a year later, the uh, mom or dad went in the nursing home, that would be a probably a five- or six-year disqualification from Medicaid benefits because of that huge gift. Yeah. So, especially with a married couple, if we, if we have a married couple and the house goes into an irrevocable trust and, say, the husband goes into the nursing home, well, the wife is allowed to keep that house. So we would have to transfer it out of the irrevocable trust back to the wife individually now she can keep it if she keeps it in the irrevocable trust she'll be paying you know fifteen thousand a month for the next five or six years which she doesn't have that money so uh you have to take it out so there is there is um some flexibility and i had a case where they put the house and about three hundred thousand in an irrevocable and they they only made it to four years and then what we did was we didn't give anything back to the it was just a hus it was just the father white mother mother had passed away fathers in the nursing home and we get to 4 years we can't give anything back to him but what 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 the son did was he paid the nursing home out of the trust fund money for that one year got past the 5 years then we applied and it was eventually approved. MassHealth turned it down. And MassHealth, their contention was that the person, the, the father in the nursing home, at, had access to the money in the trust because his son was paying the nursing home bill. And the hearing officer on that appeal said, no, uh, there's a case out there, a Massachusetts uh, appeals court case that says it's no different than, than the than the father gifting the money to his son, and then the son, out of the goodness of his heart, paying for the nursing home. It's the same thing. Just because it was in an irrevocable trust and the son is paying the nursing home doesn't mean that the father has access to it. The father never received any of the money into his own personal bank account. The son was directly paying the nursing home. So there is a, you know, a lot of flexibility with the trustee in an irrevocable trust um, you know, and so there's ways to get around these various problems that could pop up if we don't make the five years. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess we, one of my questions was, was going to be, you know, if, if there's any allowable distribution. So it sounds like you can take a distribution from the irrevocable trust, but it, it can in no way go back to, the grantor of the trust, right? Is there's, there's no, you know, uh, health education and wellness exceptions, right? It's just purely income from the trust, assuming that's how the irrevocable trust is, is written. Yes. And in the trust, in the irrevocable trust that I do, there's a provision that allows the trustee to make distributions to beneficiaries. Okay. So what we, what we did in, in that case is the trustee made distributions to himself. He take ten thousand a month out, put it into his own personal checking account, and then pay the nurse pay the nursing home bill. And he did that for a year, and um, so that's the clause that allows us some flexibility: is that you can take the money and distribute it to a beneficiary. And in this case, the trustee was one of the beneficiaries. Okay, is wow, that's interesting. That seems like a do you have concerns about, or, or is there any, any, uh, you have any preliminary ideas of whether or not they're working on legislation to change any of this, right? Because I mean, when, when I have this discussion with, with clients, it's always, 
you know, and, and we don't get, obviously we don't get into the, the kind of detail. We, we just know the big picture of it. You know, we, we talk about the five year look back period and we, and we always disclaim under current law, is there, have you heard of anything where they're looking to potentially change this? And is this a, I, this is Massachusetts, right? So they, they're handling their end of Medicaid, uh, and or does, does federal law supersede them in some way or what, what do people need to be worried about on that front? Well, it, uh, the federal law is is what applies. So Massachusetts, uh, ha, you know, basically takes the federal law and just changes the name and says it's the Mass Health regulations. But but each state interprets the federal law a little differently. So you have differences from state to state. Right now, there's some talk about going to a ten year look back or a seven year look back. Used to be. When I first started doing this, it was a three-year look back. Now it's five. Yeah. So it's a good idea to do your planning now because who knows when they're going to go to a 10 or a seven-year look back. Um, and, you know, with the, with the irrevocable trust, um, you know, the general idea is we don't want to take anything out. You know, once it goes in, it's in, and that's it for the five years. Yeah. And some flexibility after five years, but... But so that's what we want to do. But 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 things happen. Like I said, if 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 you you put a lot of assets into an irrevocable trust and then the donors, uh, mom and dad end up in a nursing home within one or two years, then the only remedy is to is to take it out of that trust and give it back to give it back to the parents. Okay, Suzanne, do do you uh, do you consult with? folks uh who are maybe on their way into a nursing home and and are trying to select a nursing home yep yep sometimes we do um we we sort of meet people at all aspects of of you know different situations like i said we meet people that are kind of in crisis situations where a loved one is you know in a hospital and they're being told they can't go home and so they're looking for a rehab um sometimes we have people that are that are home and and really failing at home so they need to quickly look for a nursing home we really we have people in all areas we have people in their 60s who are very healthy and just want to plan and and want to sort of have us there in their back pocket yeah do do, do you find that there is a a significant i mean i I think earlier in you know uh, earlier in the show you mentioned that there are some nursing homes that will not take medicaid payments and (laughs) is that our is that lily um, who nope, will, nope, that's not here. Oh, okay, that's Jeff's dog. All right, it's usually our dog in the background. Jeff, Jeff. must have a dog. Yep. <laughs> uh, anyway, so you know, you, you did mention that there are some nursing homes that do not take Medicaid. Right. You know, is that? Do you find there's a, subs, a significant difference between the type of nursing home that would take uh, Medicaid versus not? I mean, I guess if you're planning well in advance, you, you know, that might be a question that you ask yourself: Is it well? If, hey, if if mom or dad is going to go into a nursing home and they could afford it and we as a family can afford to maybe not protect the assets, um, do I want to limit them to a, a nursing home that will accept Medicaid? Is, is it is it that cut and dried? Oh, you know, the good ones uh, don't take Medicaid and the bad ones do? Or I mean, assume it's not it's not quite that black and white, but why don't you speak to that a little bit if you can? Yeah, it's not it's not quite that cut and dry. Um and there's there's not actually very many private nursing homes. Oh, really? The, the majority of nursing homes are the the large mass health nursing homes that are usually a combination of a short-term rehab and a long-term care facility. So, you know, most of the nursing homes that you might drive by are part of a larger corporation. They accept mass health and Medicare, and they are... You know, half of their facility is a short-term rehab, or maybe a third of their facility is a short-term rehab, a third of their facility is long-term care, and maybe a third of their facility is, a, a um, you know, an Alzheimer's unit, so long-term care, but for people with cognitive impairments. That's just kind of typical. Not every nursing home has an Alzheimer's unit, but <clears throat> a lot of them do. And it's not so simple to say that the private nursing homes are great and, and the Medicaid nursing homes are not great. I mean, they, so, so the mass health nursing home that, you know, nursing homes that accept mass health are all subject to, to regulations and, and they're followed closely by the Department of Public Health. And you can look up online. Every nursing home gets a, a, what we call a state survey. So the Department of Public Health, you know, comes in and audits nursing homes on a regular basis. And you can find those results from that, from that Department of Public Health survey online. So that's one of the things that I often direct people to when they're asking about 
quality care in nursing homes. You know, I direct them to look at the state surveys online, and you can see how they were rated, and you can see what their deficiencies are. I would say for the people that can afford to privately pay for a nursing home, so, you know, like Jeff said, $15,000 a month, say. Those people that can very easily say that they can afford that can typically very easily say they can afford home care, too. Home care, 24-hour home care definitely is more expensive. It's more like twenty dollars to $24,000 a month for, for private home care 24-7. But if you have someone that can pretty easily say, oh, yeah, a nursing home will be no problem, they, they oftentimes would be able to afford at least some, you know, long-term private pay at home or a combination of that. Because, you know, and it's oftentimes that someone doesn't need 24-hour care. Maybe they only need 12 hours of care, which would be more in line with what a nursing home would cost. So, so we don't have people, you, we don't have a lot of clients that are saying, yes, you know, my mom needs to go into a nursing home, and yes, we can afford a private nursing home. It's usually more that if they can afford a, a private nursing home, no problem, they're usually going to go the route of home care for at least a period of time. Okay. Because like you said, you know, in the last hour, it's a fair statement that nobody really wants to go into a nursing home. It's never anybody's goal to say, yes, you know, I'm 65, and when I'm 80, I can't wait to be in a nursing home. That's, 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 I've never had that happen in over 20 years of practice. <laughs> so it doesn't happen. And, and so... People that have a good amount of assets and are thinking about how to care for someone are typically looking more at home care. Okay. In a, in, in a general in a general sense, and and you know private pay home care is is expensive. It's about market rate for if you're going to go through an agency and pay privately for an aide, like Jeff said, sort of a not a nurse but a, a home health aide or a certified nursing assistant. It's about thirty two dollars an hour now at agencies. So it's it's expensive. It's very very expensive. Okay. Oh, we just have a, we just have a few more minutes here, Jeff. You know, j- just to just to follow up, I you know I I may have asked this question a bunch of different times, but as far as let's say someone wants home care and they've done their Medicaid planning in advance, did you say that if if you've if you've done an irrevocable trust, there's a there's going to be a trustee on that trust, but you have to have buy-in from all. Let's let's just say you did your Medicaid plan, you you decided it it wasn't for you. Mom doesn't want to go to a nursing home. We're going to try to private pay her at home. Um, and we want to get that money back and use it, do you have to get sign-off from every single beneficiary of the trust, or does the trustee have the power? Let's say one, you know, let's say three kids are all beneficiaries, but one is uh, is the trustee. Do you have to get everyone to sign off and agree some legal document? Well, the trustee has the power to do to do what the trustee wants to do, but also has a fiduciary duty to those beneficiaries. So it's a good idea to get every everybody on board. And if, and if they're all children, I would assume that they're all going to be on board to, say, use the money to pay for the home care. And um, we, we, we can do the same thing. We can take the money out and pay directly the home care people so that the money doesn't get returned to, to mom or dad and, and then destroy the irrevocability of that trust. All right. Terrific. Well, I think, you know, we're, we are just, I'm sorry, you have a quick comment, Suzanne? Oh, no, wait. No, sorry about that. Time. We ran out of time. <laughs> Anyways, thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Jeff Higgins, uh, Law Offices of Jeffrey A. Higgins in Chelmsford. Uh, you can reach him at 978-502-6751. And then thank you to Suzanne, my wife. If you want to reach her, you can call the office here in Chelmsford. 978-256-7447. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. 